The best and brightest physicians choose to work at Boston Medical Center. And now it's time to hear what they're saying. This is Boston Med Talks. Here's Melanie Cole. A diagnosis of cancer can be a life-altering experience, and it can affect patients and their loved ones in so many ways. Here to discuss cancer support services available at Boston Medical Center is my guest, Bob David. He's the manager of cancer support programs at Boston Medical Center. Bob, tell us about the significance of support in addition to the clinical care that cancer patients are going through, the significance of support during and after cancer treatment. The needs are great. You know, when someone is diagnosed with cancer or any any uh, chronic long-term major disease, I mean, it affects them across the board. It affects their daily life, their physical health, psychological, emotional. It affects the families, family relationships. It affects their capacity to work or uh, and do any of the activities that they've regularly done. Um, it affects their children. It affects you know, if it's a young person with cancer, it certainly affects the parents. Um, so they're just going through a lot. And as we all know, when people come in for to a hospital um, and see a team of doctors, you know, the doctor's time is always limited. So they address what's most important medically, but they can't really usually take the time to tune in on a level deeper than that and, you know, kind of feel out and be uh, particularly attentive to the emotional, social needs of patients. Um, our hospital, Boston Medical Center, has a very varied, culturally diverse and rich population. We have many inner city people. We have people who come here from all over the world. I mean, I feel so fortunate to to, to have gotten to know people from all over the world. Um, but it also means that we have a population that has uh, extraordinary duress in their lives. Um, you know, housing issues, work issues, family issues, um, poverty issues, all kinds of things. And you could just imagine if you, you know, are diagnosed with cancer and you're already have you already have your hands full just to manage your life. Um, it can be really uh, a difficult journey. So. Um, you know, we do what we can to to help um, and to offer good things to the the uh, cancer patients and survivors. So, along those lines, Bob, how do you identify the needs of these cancer survivors? As you've mentioned, there are so many external factors besides just the clinical care provided by their physician or oncologist. What are some of the latent long-term effects in survivors as far as depression and family issues as you've discussed? Tell us, how do you identify those? Uh, well, that's a huge question and um, a huge task. And I, you know, I can't say we do uh, or anybody can possibly do a great job addressing all of those things. First off, our cancer support services include patient navigators. We have a great team of, of six patient navigators who um, help people with logistics, just making sure they get to their they can get to their appointments. Um, you know, they need transportation help um, if they have issues with bills at home. They may, you know, the navigators help them find resources. We have uh, an oncology social worker who can focus in on. Uh, you know, particular emotional stress, um, housing issues, what have you. I mean, they're limited in what they can do, certainly, but, you know, they, they are there to help. 
Um, and we have a, a dietitian, we have some other genetics counseling, and then we have the cancer support programs, of which I'm in charge of. And um, honestly, we cannot address everything. And, you know, the, the fact is, it's the patients who reach out more on their own who, um, who get more services. Otherwise, we really have to look, you know, and we have to listen and pay attention and um, pick up on what we can and do what we can with the resources we have. Um, for for myself, um, you know, we go into the chemotherapy bays or down into the radiation oncology department and introduce ourselves to patients and start building a bit of a relationship. If a person is just new into treatment, recently diagnosed, they're scared and they have a, a ton of stuff on their plate. So they not are not really ready to engage necessarily in a support group or come to various programs, um, but we recognize that. So we just want to be friendly, um, introduce ourselves, maybe see them again next time they're in chemotherapy, and maybe down the road when a patient um, is kind of on the downhill side of the chemo, in other words, the scans are showing that the chemotherapy is working and they're not so afraid that they're going to die from this cancer, they're feeling more optimistic, they're seeing they're going to go on with their lives, then they may be more ready to engage in some of the programs that we offer. Um, and so then we're ready for them, you know, and we'll all along the way be encouraging and supportive and say, uh, you know, come to this, you may, and bring your, bring your wife or bring your daughter or whoever. These are open for everybody. And um, we provide a meal and we'll, we provide free parking. And if you really need help getting home, we'll help you with that too. And um, part of the message also is, you know, support groups are not a bunch of, you know, people complaining and, you know, it's not sad news. It's more laughter and encouragement and, and enjoying one another's company than anything else, really. Um, we also provide a meal at most of the, the groups. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, we meet them and they meet us. And to be honest, there's something I've really come to see, and I say this many times to patients, um, it's those who realize that, who can accept their disease and, um, you know, see that it's part of their life, but it's not their entire life. You know, they, they, they still have a will to live and, and a desire to see their grandkids grow up or they want to finish the school program they started or whatever it may be, or they want to go back and play golf again or whatever the case may be, um, you know, they have a, a reason to keep going. And they also recognize that, you know, they're not alone with this, so they don't want to be alone with this and they want to talk about it and they want to hear what other people have been through. Or now that I've been through treatment, I want to talk about it. I want to uh, unwrap this a bit and compare my experience with others. Those people have an advantage in just that kind of attitude. Those are the ones who do the best with their treatment. Those are the ones who tend to come to groups and keep coming to groups and are helpful to others who come newly to groups. So it's, um, you know, we kind of tap into that energy as best we can. But somebody has to say yes to coming in the first place, or yes to listening in the first place. What a lovely thought process you have, Bob. Tell us a little bit more about how cancer support extends to the families. You mentioned them, and you know how are the families involved in all of this? Are they receptive? Do you find that sometimes the patient is the one supporting their family members who might 
have a tougher time? Or, you know, tell us a little bit about how that dynamic works. And as far as navigating the world after treatment, fatigue, depression, all of the things that come along with it, wrap it up for us with really what you would like us to know about this program. I know it's a big question, but I know you can do it. (laughs) Well, thanks for your confidence, Melanie. That that is a huge question. Um, And as I said in the beginning, a disease like this affects um, the patient and the family in a big way. Um, You know, I think there's a huge need in general to tend to caregivers. And we have, we've done caregiver groups and right now I have it set it up, set up that a person can call in and make an appointment basically with me for, um, to, to consult on caregiving and just to get some support on caregiving. Um, because it's, it's a really tough role in that, you know, people see that the patient is suffering and they inquire about the patient, but seldom do they inquire about how the caregiver is doing. And, it's such a burden because the patient, you know, understandably doesn't feel well and can be cranky or, you know, just can feel bad in so many ways. And the person they're going to take it out on the most is the person that's closest to them who's taking care of them. So it's a tough job for any caregiver. And it's almost universal that it happens this way. I mean, 98% of the time, the caregiver feels burdened. So we address that at times. I, I address it as much as I can when caregivers are present, um, or sometimes it's just patients and we talk about it and the strain and the stress on, you know, the caregiver and other people in the family. Um, you know, I just wish we, it's hard, you know, it's hard for patients to come in here for groups when they're not already here for their care. It's hard for caregivers to come in or family members for a host of reasons. One, they're caring for the patient. Two, they're, you know, making the ends meet for the household. They're busy. Um, they're watching the kids or whatever the case may be. So it's hard for them to come in. So we've had a hard time actually running groups on any consistent basis where caregivers come to the hospital. But those who tend to participate, who, who choose to participate, always, my sense is, get some relief from it. They get some understanding. You know, all I have to do is start talking about what I was just saying about how there's such a burden and nobody asks how they're doing and, uh, you know, there are other aspects I might point out to you about how you, you know, you end up walking on eggshells a lot of the time because you want the patient to eat more or don't strain yourself or do this or don't do that. And the patient gets tired of hearing it. <laughs> and it's, you know, so it, it becomes a difficult dynamic. And nobody on the outside usually understands that. So, you know, we encourage caregivers to t- take care of yourself, make time for yourself, ask for help. I mean, these are not novel concepts by any means, but, you know, and ask for help up early. Um, don't say, I'm fine, everything's fine, because then people will stop offering and then it becomes harder to ask. So it's important. I guess this is one takeaway I'd like to stress is it's important as a caregiver to let people help right at the beginning, even if you feel like you don't need it, because um, then you'll be able to get more help when you do need it. And people like to help. People like to give. They like opportunities. So, um, you know, when you say, I don't need any help, you're denying ultimately yourself, the patient, and then your friend or the person who wants to give help. So help is a great thing. Um, so we should all be open to it. Um, beyond that, it's, uh, it's a tough road, but, uh, like I said earlier, those with a positive attitude and a will to live and a reason to live do well for themselves and they make it easier for their family too, in general. 
It's great information. Thank you so much, Bob, for coming on and telling us about some of the challenges that cancer survivors face and how Boston Medical Center Cancer Support Services can help in so many ways. What a lovely man you are. Thank you again for joining us. This is Boston Med Talks with Boston Medical Center. For more information on cancer support services, you can go to bmc.org. That's bmc.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.